Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that as we gather together on a morning like this, that you visit us by manifesting your presence through your Spirit. And then you begin to minister to each one of us, to share with each one of us. More importantly, you change us from the inside out. We thank you this morning for the living and active Word of God and that what it, what it does to our lives. We thank you that we can gather together, open up this book, and allow your Holy Spirit to teach us. And we pray that you would do so this morning, that you would allow me the ability to speak the words that are anointed by your Spirit, and that you would have us to hear and to internalize. I pray for each one of us that our, we would have hearing ears and that we would have eyes that could see this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> we will be uh, concluding this morning our series on the letter of James. I haven't actually counted, but I think it's either 10 or 11 messages that we've taken to go through these five chapters. Uh, but today we'll, we'll definitely finish up this series. Um, and we may or may not uh, offer it as a set, a CD set. I don't know. So many, so many people don't even have CD players anymore. Uh, we, in, in, in my car I do, but there's a lot of cars that don't. I handed Jim Newsom some CDs one time. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do with these. I don't even have a CD player in my car. But he does have a flash drive, so I gave him one on flash drive. I'm serious. But anyway, let him pray. Bring him back. Um, to conclude his letter, James offers his readers and us some final admonitions, mostly centering around the importance of praying. Um, he talks about prayer in basically every circumstance, and then he specifically deals with prayer in sickness. And we'll get to that, obviously. And he actually ends this letter with instruction for extending God's love to a brother or sister. And I might add that James, um, James ends this letter like some of you stop. He slams on brakes. And he's done. <laughs> you know, Paul often will spend three or four verses greeting and talking and not James. I mean, James just, boom, he's done. I'm out of here. I mean, he just stops without any further fanfare. And there's nothing we can do about that except study what we got. We can't study what we don't have. Now, you can write that down if you want to and remember that. But he, he will talk about how one of the ways we can extend the love of God to one another. And so we'll read James 5, uh, 13 through 20. Uh, and if you would stand while we read those verses... And I'll read uh, this week from the English Standard Version. And it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And by the way, all of these hymns are inferring hymns and hers, okay? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three months and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins, period. You may be seated. I hope you didn't get whiplash with that stop. Now, when we started this letter, we talked about his target audience being Jewish Christians who had been scattered all over the region. And because of troubles and because of difficulties they'd gone through, conflict had entered the churches. And we spent more than one Sunday talking about conflict, the source of conflict. Uh, And they had splintered into factions. And so in this letter, he talks about living by faith, the reality of trials, the implanted word of God and the value that has in our lives. He talks a lot about human relationships and he ends it that way. Uh, he talks a little bit about the power of the tongue uh, and, and speaking or listening and hearing before we speak. Uh, and then he, of course, he talks about conflict. He talked about humility. He talked about the will of the Lord. And so now he finishes up with this admonition. And he starts out, he just, and I've said all along, I really like James. Uh, James, I think he's my kind of guy. I mean, he just, to the point, he said, is anybody suffering? Let him pray. I mean, he could have dismissed right then. And the truth is, we're not going to, but the truth is we could spend the rest of our time right there. Is anyone suffering? Has life become difficult? The literal translation there is, are you suffering or are you enduring hardships? Has life, is, has life gotten in your way? Life circumstances, have they, or do they challenge you? If you've lived more than a minute, The answer is yes, and it's to varying degrees. He says, is anyone dealing with things? Is anyone up against something? They don't know what to do or what to do about it. Anybody like that? Yeah. And so James, instead of offering a 16-point theological summation, he said, well, let him pray. How simple is that? Let him pray because prayer is, we pray to the only one that can help. The only person, the only entity, the only thing, excuse the thing, that can help. You and I, and especially men, we 
have a tendency to want to fix everything. When a problem arises, we want to fix it. And we think we can fix it. And often we should, we should start with talking to the great fixer and allowing God to speak to us and show us maybe the solution. Paul Cedar with Mission America Coalition said, prayer is not the only thing we do, but it is the first thing we do. And when we are up against something, when we're looking at our checkbook and it's laughing at us, when we're when we're looking at a vocation issue, when we're looking at a relationship issue, when we're looking at physical issues, we don't know what to do about any of them. Paul Cedar reminds us that prayer is not the only thing we do, but it must be the first thing we do. Why is it the first thing we do? Because it brings us to the throne of God. Remembering that prayer is not our vehicle just to manipulate God to get him to do what we want. Or to give us what we want. But prayer, the subtle, not so subtle intention of prayer, is not necessarily to get God to us, but to get us to God. God has arranged his spiritual economy in such a way that it requires us coming to him. Because he knows when we come to him is where we find life. It's the fellowship. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Once again, Not only are we drawing God into our circumstance, we're drawing ourselves into God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, you see things and you think things differently than when you're over here dealing with your mess. When you're dealing with your stuff, draw close to God. Pray. Now, we know that prayer is not just Asking God to give us stuff. As a matter of fact, that's probably a small part. And really what we should be asking him to give us is what he's already said he's going to give us. But praying is, as I said earlier, drawing near to that God who can, who can solve whatever the issue is. And let me just say this too. Sometimes when we're dealing with hardships, we're suffering hardships, James says, let him pray. But he didn't say, let him pray so that God will cure all of that. We want God to fix everything we're facing. And I want to tell you, God's not going to. I mean, I I hate to bust your bubble, but God's not going to fix every issue that you're facing right now. Because it's so useful to him. When you're getting squeezed... When you're getting challenged, uh, God, I'm, I'm going to keep using that because I'm going to shape you. I'm going to shape them. I'm going to form them. I'm going to mold them with this circumstance, with this person. If you watch the midweek video this week, I'm not having you raise your hand again. 
I talked about iron sharpens iron. You know, sometimes you got people in your life that uh, just all that they just sharpen you, and sharpening is not comfortable. It's called anyway. I'll leave it alone. Then he says this. He said, "Let him, if anybody's suffering, let him pray. Is anybody cheerful?" But I, you know, there are churches, I guess, but groups of people where you have to ask that question. Is anyone cheerful? And he said, well, let him sing praise. The old King James says, let him sing psalms. It's not talking about the book of psalms. It's just about singing songs. Is anyone cheerful? And really, the word cheerful here is a word that means in good heart or good spirit. Or it could mean in a good frame of mind. I would submit to us today, this might not be minus the hardships. This might not be the person who's gotten beyond the hardships or the challenges, but it's the person who in the midst of that has found a way to be of a good heart or a good spirit, to be in a good frame of mind. You know who that person is? The one who prays. The one who goes to God. And says to God, I have no idea how this is going to work. I have no idea how this is going to play out. I don't, I, I do not see light at the end of the tunnel, but I do see you. And if you can't rely on God, you can't rely on anybody. Because he's it. Now he'll use people. He'll bring people in your life, but we start with him. We go to him. Our God. And that person who's cheerful, it might not be minus the hardships. It might not be minus the challenges. Might not even have gained victory over any of them, but has found a place in the midst of that to be of a good frame of mind. So sing praise. Sing praise regardless of your circumstances. We sing, we sing a song in the midst of the storm. We're still going to sing. You've heard me say, I've often pictured that Paul and Silas get locked up in that jail. Acts chapter 16. And they're sitting in this jail. And, you know, the jails, if any of you ever visited jails, I hope on this side of the bars, some, some on the other side. But the, the jails that... Paul is talk, was in or talking about is nothing like the ones we've seen here. I mean, the ones we have, I mean, I went to visit somebody in the Davidson County Jail and uh, went into this particular area. We, we sat down on a nice, comfortable bench or something in this within this, this jail cell, not jail cell, but this area where I could meet with this person. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, wouldn't Paul have loved this? You know, no rats, no, I mean, anyway. And Paul and Silas are, are in this cell. They haven't been arrested because Paul cast a demon out of a girl. The reason they put him in jail, not, not that they cared about deliverance, but he took money out of their pockets. She was making them some money by prophesying things and telling things. And so now she couldn't do it anymore. She didn't have the demon to do it. Well, that put him in jail. So I've imagined this is not scripture, so don't throw things at me. But they're sitting around about midnight, and Silas says, Paul, what are we going to do? 
We're stuck here in this jail with all these nasty, filthy criminals. What, what are we going to do? And I believe Paul's answer to Silas was this. I don't know what you're going to do, Silas. I don't know what's going to happen. i tell you what I'm going to do. He said, what? I'm going to sing. Can you imagine Silas at that moment? Sing. Yeah, okay. What you going to sing? Row, row, row your boat. I mean, come on. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. Now, he's in jail. Y'all know he's in jail? He's in jail. Not knowing what's going to happen, I'm going to sing. Of course, they began to sing. Paul Silas said, well, I ain't got anything better to do. I'll join you. They began to sing. Earthquake. The doors fly open. Rest of the story. They walk out of there. And they go to the house of the jailer. And he is converted. He's saved. And his whole family's baptized. Why? I think it's because they chose to, to praise in the midst of. They found a way to be cheerful. You, you know what? You can do the same thing. Here, here's the key to this. And here's the key. Paul writes that we should be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here's the key. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. In everything, give thanks. If you want to cure your situation, if you want to find a place, a good frame of mind or a good heart or a good spirit in the midst of your challenges, give thanks. You don't always have to give thanks for that thing, but you can certainly give thanks in that thing. And so they, Paul and Silas, chose to do that. They're going to give thanks in the midst of this jail. And in their case, God set them free. What would have happened had the jail cell not opened, had the earthquake not occurred, would Paul and Silas have kept singing? I'd like to think yes. Sing praise. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says that in worship, prayer is a solemn address to the supreme being consisting of adoration or an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections, the confession of our sins, supplication for mercy and forgiveness, intercession for blessings on others, and thanksgiving or an expression of gratitude to God for his mercies and his benefits. I don't care what circumstance you are in. I don't care what challenges you're seeing. You can find something to thank God for. You can find something to have gratitude towards God the Father. And in everything, and whatever your everything looks like, you can give thanks. And when you do, you'll find your attitude changing. You'll find your viewpoint changing. You'll find how you see things. You may not see your circumstances change, although I think you might at some point. But even when you don't, you will see them differently. And he begins to talk about the prayer of faith. says, is there any sick among you? If anybody's suffering... Let him pray. Anybody cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anybody sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. 
There's no magic to oil. There's no, there's no, uh, there was a belief at one time that there was something supernatural about the oil. But it is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we do it. We do it around here. As a matter of fact, we were, I don't know if they're still out there, but we had some little vials for you to pick up and carry in your pockets and in your purses for you if you wanted to pray for somebody at Kroger's. You had you get your little vial of oil. So being obedient to God is good. And But he said, let them pray over them, anointing them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I want to say this about that. I can't explain to you, and neither can anybody else, by the way, why God doesn't heal every person that you pray for. Uh, Jim Newsom stood right here one time and said, I don't, I can't, I can't explain why God healed me miraculously of hepatitis C. Jim had called me and said, I'm getting my affairs in order. The doctor said, I'm, I'm about ready to go. So I'm going to go ahead and get my affairs in order and get ready to go to heaven. The next time he called me, that he had been healed, the doctor, he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you have a liver of a teenager. I don't understand it. Or Jim said, I understand it. But he stood right here one Sunday, and he said, I don't understand why God would heal me and allow Carolyn Simpson to die and go to heaven of ovarian cancer. And he that makes two of us. I don't understand it either. I'm not going to try to understand it. Because here's the point, people. We pray for the sick. And we pray to God. That's our part. You understand that's all you can do? Do you understand that's all God expects you to do? And guess who's in charge of healing? Not me. As a matter of fact, he said, the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up. Should we stop praying for sick people? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, we probably will today. Not stop, but keep doing it. (laughs) Just so we're clear. Should we, should we discontinue the, 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 the act? No. God is sovereign. Everybody say that with me. God is sovereign. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot order God. You cannot push him around. He's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands, worrying that you might pray the wrong thing or the right thing. You can't do that. He's sovereign. And when God heals people, thank you, Jesus. When he chooses not to or not to at that moment, that's his business. That's his business. And I don't want to hear any of this nonsense. Oh, they don't have enough faith. Or they got sin in their life. Everybody I've ever known, and I've known a lot, and some of you sitting right here in this room, that God has miraculously healed. Everyone I've ever known had sin in their life. People that sitting in the room say, well, he's not talking about me. I mean, what makes the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, 
is the object of our faith. It's not that we have went to a gas pump of faith and we have filled up our tank with faith and now we have enough faith and so we're going to pray for someone. That's not what it's about. The prayer of faith is that is such because we pray to the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is God himself, not some entity, not energy. We're not praying for energy to come. <laughs> we are sort of. I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a moment. But we're talking about God himself is who we pray to. He is our object of faith. And our trust and our faith is in him. I wrote a Kernels of Truth years ago. It was in one of those books he showed you. And the title of it was Faith in God, period. Not faith in God for healing. Not faith in God for miracles. Not faith in God for financial provision. Not faith in God for a husband or a wife. Faith in God, period. We have our faith in him, not what he does. Then he says a funny thing. He says, and their sins will be forgiven. Can't totally explain that. Except if God's going to heal you, he's going to forgive your sins. I will say this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Everybody say some. Some illnesses, I think, are a result of sins. Not all. Probably not most. Why do I say that? Because the human body was not created to carry sin. When God created Adam and Eve, they were not built to carry sin around. And then we became sinful creatures. I'll just leave that alone. You say, well, is everybody who's sick? No. Probably not most everybody. So don't look around and say, well, see, I got a little sniffle today. You think, well, he, what has he been doing? <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sometimes we're doing things to damage our own bodies. Because we weren't built to carry that. You weren't. Boy, y'all get quiet. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Okay, let's dismiss and forget all that nonsense. (laughs) Confess your, how much time you have? Confess your sins to one another. Now it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You do not, you do not, do not uh, apply that verse to everybody you meet. You're not riding on a bus or a plane and you sit next to someone and they say, Hey, I'm a Christian. Well, I got something to tell you. <clears throat> you might have to went, wind up hearing them say, you ought not have said that. But anyway, that's not what you, you don't go there. Confess your sins to one another. That another should be someone that you can trust with your life and trust with your confession. Someone who cares about you. You especially don't want to share it with someone who is a gossip. Confess your sins to one another. You should have people in your life. If it's just one. As a matter of fact, I would say if you had two or three friends like that in your life, you're wealthy. You're very wealthy. 
Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Again, back to the midweek video, we talked about being fitted and joined together and being built into this spiritual house called the church. Last week, we talked about the colony of heaven on earth. Find the people that you're being fitted and joined to. Most likely, they're either sitting in this room or would normally be sitting in this room. Not always. That's not always the case. But a lot of the people would be being fitted. And that I, I, I don't want to go into it, but that fitting process can get uncomfortable. Those are the people that you want to confess to and pray for. Confess to and pray for. There's a relationship there. And they care about you and you care about them. And then he says this statement. I'm not a fan of the ESV rendering here. I liked the New American Standard version better. And it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man or person can accomplish much. The King James, New King James says the effectual fervent prayer, which is just sort of a repetitive word saying the same thing. The effective prayer of a righteous. And interesting in the, I don't want to get too complicated here because you're going to think I'm smart and I'm not. (laughs) But in the Greek sentence there, there's no word for man. You literally from the Greek could say the effective prayer of a righteous. And that'd be the end of it can accomplish much. They put a man or a person in there because that's who that's who's doing it most of the time. The word effective and accomplish in that text are the same word in the original language. And it doesn't matter what that word is, but it's the word where we get our word energy. Back to the energy thing. And it's energy that produces or releases results. How do we have a prayer that releases results? How do we have an effective prayer that accomplishes? In other words, how do we have an energetic prayer that releases energy results? It's because we've prayed to a living God. Now you can go stand in Muhammad's, in front of Muhammad's tomb or Buddha, any of the rest of those folks, and you can pray <laughs> what did you say the other day about the cows coming home? Oh, we had a bunch of hamburgers in our freezer. She said, we got, we got hamburgers till the cows come home. <laughs> I ride by a cow pasture near us. And I said, well, there's the future hamburgers of America right there. <laughs> mm. We pray to a living God. And the living God, and I, well, I know what I got distracted with my, my story. You can stand in front of these tombs and you can pray to the cows come home. Nothing. No energy. Nothing living. They're dead. They've been dead. They'll be dead. But when you pray, there is no tomb that you can go pray to Jesus. Oh, you go to the tomb he was in, but I got news for you. There's not news, but he's not there. You pray to a living God. 
And when you pray to a living God, then something happens. There's energy that produces results. It's his energy. It's his presence. When the energy of the Holy Spirit entered into the tomb of Jesus, there followed results. There were results. And the results were that he was raised from the dead. So how can our prayer be effective and how can our prayer accomplish in that we we approach the throne of a living God? And draw that from him. He uses Elijah as an example. When I was a first a Christian, I would read that passage and I, I, you read it so fast. I think, well, man, he just tells us how great Elijah is. You know what he's telling us? He's telling us how great Elijah isn't. Look at the passage again. I know I was the only one that thought that way, but you just bear with me. Elijah was a man, there's a clue, with a nature like ours, another clue. And he prayed that it might not rain. It didn't rain for three years and six months. Then he did, then he prayed and then it did rain. You know what he's saying? I don't know if this is a southern phrase or not, but Elijah puts his pants on one leg at a time. Just like the rest of us. Elijah is a human being. Frail human being. And yet, here's the part, and yet he prayed to a living God. And that made his prayer effective. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, it did rain. And his point is not that Elijah was great. His point is, Elijah's just like us. I mean, he did leave earth a different way than anybody else other than Enoch. He did catch a, a an Uber chariot that took him straight up. But he didn't do that. That didn't even happen because he was a special guy. It happened because he knew a special God. Prayed fervently. It literally means prayed with prayer. It's almost redundant, isn't it? Well, it's a Hebraism. Hebraisms are like idioms. I mean, everybody's got their idioms. One's born every day. Anyway, Hebraism for prayed intensely. This is how he prayed. He was, he was a man. He had a nature like ours, but he prayed intensely. His prayer was answered not because he was divine or special. His prayer was answered because the one he prayed to is divine and holy. We sang about that holy God this morning. But watch this. He prayed. The rain came. He said, nanny, nanny, boo-boo to Ahab. It's in there. Go look. You don't believe me. First Kings. Anyway, it's repeated in Hezekiah and the book of Paul, by the way. You know, y'all didn't laugh nearly enough at that. (laughs) Let's have a Bible lesson. There is no book of Hezekiah and there is no book of Paul. But he runs to Jezreel. He outruns Ahab. He's so excited 
about this thing that just happened with the rain. And he beats Ahab to the gate. But Ahab finds Jezebel. And he whines to Jezebel. He, that, that Elijah, he didn't treat me right. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you what he did. And Jezebel said, that's all right, I'll take care of him. And the next scene in our TV show, right after a commercial break, is Elijah running from Jeb, Jezebel to a cave. He's scared to death. And then he goes, he gets in a deep depression. The angel has to come and knock him in the head. He said, wake up, dude. This is the man of power and faith who just stopped the rain for three and a half years. And now he's scared of Jezebel. I believe that story's in there so you and I can say, yeah, he's a guy just like us. He's human. He's got, he's got, I mean, God had to deal with him. You can go look. That's, I think it's first Kings 17. It's not Hezekiah or Paul. I know that. I want to tell you this though. Often. The greatest danger that you and I have is after a spiritual high. Or our highest victory. That's often when we're the most vulnerable and when, when uh, depression might come in. Do you realize that more pastors resign on Monday than any other day of the week? And the fact is there are more suicides among pastors on Mondays than we want to talk about. And why is that? Well, it's because they serve sorry churches, I guess. I don't know. Uh, is, it, is that recorded? Uh, no, it's because you stand here, you've prepared, you stand here hopefully under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, your adrenaline is running through your body, and you're feeling God do something that you can't do. You understand, I can't do this without God's help. And Monday, that's gone. Your adrenaline rush is gone, and you've used up all your adrenaline and Monday, if you don't, or you have a clock timer, baby, not done just yet. On Mondays, you, you, you have this, this depletion because you had, in some ways, your victory the day before. And some of these guys, it's not many anymore, but some of these guys preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. I'm too lazy to do that. But, and then Monday, it's all gone. I'm not telling you that to feel sorry for pastors. I'm telling you that when you have a great victory or a great high in the Lord, just be careful. Because you might find yourself running from Jezebel in the next scene. Finish up. Bring him back. He said, if anybody, and it's funny, he changes gears right here. Sort of. But he says, if there's anybody among you who wanders from the truth... Wander. Of course, last week we talked about the church being the foundation for the truth. If anybody wanders from the truth or strays from the truth, 
and someone brings him back. Again, I'm not going to worry about what the word is, but the word there in the text is what we call the passive voice, which, if that's for me, I'm busy, which means that it indicates that there's an outside force or an influence at work here. Outside force or influence at work, which causes this wandering. Causing deception or causing us to go down the wrong path. I would submit to you that that outside force always starts with our flesh. You'd like to blame it on the devil. But I don't think the devil has a place in our lives until through servitude of our flesh we open up ourselves to the devil. And so there's this outside force taking place. I've shared probably in our home group more than about how that I see our life as a castle and the enemy is circling our castle roaming around like a roaring lion, and he's looking for a crack. He's looking for an opening. And when the way we give him that opening is to give ourselves to the satisfying of our flesh in, in a great way or in a small way. And when we do, he says, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. Somebody wanders from the truth. Bring him back. How much do you have to hate someone to not go to them in their straying and say, hey, now, once again, you don't go to somebody you just met on an airplane. And they tell you, I'm thinking about getting into an Eastern religion. Uh, they're not going to hear you necessarily, although you might t- roll the dice with them because who cares? You never see them again. But you got to be careful who. But. You should have people in your life that you care enough about that you can go to them and say, you know, you know, you, you have opened yourself up to something here that I don't think is biblical. And you may want to reconsider that. Now, you better be somebody you know and love and they know you love them, uh, because you might get, you might pull back a nub. I'm going to tell you what often happens. So you be prepared. Hey, I don't think you you should be doing that. I don't think you should be going there. Uh, and you know it's that what you're thinking is not biblical. And so, what often happens is forget you. I never want to talk to you again. But given some time, if they're reasonable, they come back and say, you know what, you're right. You were right. Now, this is not, when we're talking about wandering from the truth, this is not, hey, I uh, saw so you've been reading that NIV again. <laughs> you, you know, if you, was, if, you, if you knew God, you'd be reading the NS, ESV or the, anyway, you, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about wandering from the truth. There are parts of the Bible that are not, worth debating some people see them differently than others 
there are parts of the truth, like we said last week, the virgin birth is uh, no negotiating. And it's not just what somebody believes. Paul wrote the knowledge about the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth and godliness live together. Truth leads to godliness. Godliness causes us to embrace the truth. And when we're not godly, and I don't mean perfect, I don't mean that by any stroke, but we're not godly, we won't embrace the truth. And it's more than just observing creedal statements and doctrines in our heads. That's not the truth. I mean, observing creedal statements are fine and, and observing doctrines is fine. But if it's just an intellectual thing with us, then we hadn't gained anything. We hadn't gained anything. I would say to you that the wandering from the truth on the part of this person or anybody else for that matter was most likely due to prayerlessness on their part. For if you are praying in the midst of your situation, if you are finding yourself before the throne of God, engaging with a living God, the chances of you departing from his written word is very slim. Because before this was written, he said it. He spoke it. Daniel Henderson is with Strategic Renewal. He said, prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. If I refuse to pray or I neglect to pray, I'm saying to God, I don't really need you that much. It's kind of like what Brother Vernon Simpson said about anxiety, that anxiety is a mild form of atheism. Prayerlessness is me saying to God, I don't, I don't really have any use for you. I got this. There's the story of early African converts to Christianity. And they were earnest in their devotions or private devotions. Each one had a separate spot out in the thicket where he would go and pray, pray to God and pour his heart out to God. And over time, the paths were worn to these spots, these little spots in the thicket where they would go. As a result, if the believers neglected their prayer, if they began to neglect going to their spot and praying to God, it would, it would be apparent to others because they paid attention to where so-and-so went to find their place in the thicket. The path was worn and they were not taking the path. And their brothers would remind them in loving, in God's love, they would remind them, brother, the grass grows on your path. In other words, you had not went down that path lately, and the, and the grass is growing now. You need to be praying. You need to go back to your spot in the thicket. When he wanders, when he or she wanders, go get him. Go get him. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth with God's love. But please speak the truth. You know the old thing, uh, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That works here. If you're going to speak the truth in love, you, they better know how much you care or it's going to be ineffective. 
save its soul from death. All this is complicated. Some people believe this person is a non-believer and this is spiritual death. I'm taking a different look and I believe it is a believer and he's saying save his soul, save him from death. And I'm reminded of Paul writing this in Corinthians when they dealt with this guy who was immoral in the church, gross sexual immorality. And they dealt with this guy and Paul basically said, y'all need to put him out. Y'all need to kick him out of the church. Now, if you did that today, people have a fit. But I can tell you that if somebody did in this church what that guy did, we'd remove him from this church. You might not like it, but you just have to get over it. But this is what Paul said. You are to deliver deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Better that his flesh be destroyed and go on to heaven. Now, there's a lot of questions there that you have right now. And somebody else will be glad to answer them. (laughs) Your love will cover a multitude of sins. Your love, as you rescue and bring them back, will cover a multitude of sins. Peter writes about it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Come on up, Don. Bring the band. and We're going to give you a moment to respond here. I just want to finish out with this statement. Let the lessons of the letter of James cause us to live in healthy and harmonious community as the colony of heaven established by God on earth. I pray that this letter, that's where it brings us. And certainly through the five chapters that James wrote, uh, we all still have plenty of questions. But I think we all have plenty of answers, hopefully more answers than questions. So whatever your need might be today, you may be sick and need to be prayed for. I wanted to point out one thing, and I've and I'm, I'm neglected this, but I have to, to, to be clear. He said, uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought you had to call for the elders to be healed. You can. That is part of it. But he's also saying that you can pray for one another and they'll be healed. You don't need a clergy to do it. You don't need an elder to do it. He says, call for the elders. And sometimes we do that. And sometimes we pray for people and only the elders will pray for them. But also pray for one another that they may be healed. Doesn't matter who it is or what you're dealing with. So if you have whatever need, if you just want to worship, if you want to come to the altar, If you have something you need to be prayed for uh, this morning, then then you just respond as the Holy Spirit would lead you. Not going to make, not going to linger this thing, not going to carry it on needlessly, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you 